Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. Uh, We are today launching a new member of the TV7 Israel news roster, Powers in Play, whether it's chess or begammon, football or basketball remains to be seen, and whether all players are going to comply with the rules of the game. This is a part of our discussion. And uh, just like the five permanent members of the Security Council, we have five, five panelists here, and uh, all of uh, my distinguished colleagues are veterans, seasoned observers, retired officers, uh, foreign service officer, former ambassador, Daniel Elon, also the deputy foreign minister of Israel, retired Colonel Miri Eisen, um, an experienced intelligence officer with experience at the highest levels of government, too. Retired Colonel Eran Lerman, Dr. Lerman, intelligence is your specialty along with national security planning. And retired Colonel Rovan Ben Shalom, a veteran Air Force pilot. Welcome aboard. Thank you. All of you. you. It's going to be an interesting flight. It will, yeah. Hold on to your uh, straps. (laughs) Uh, Now, Uh, When we talk about powers in play, uh, we will try to uh, direct our telescopes at the world at large and our microscope at Israel and with some peripheral vision, the Middle East. But before we get to uh, the uh, world powers, the game of nations, let us uh, consider the term power. Is it still germane or uh, perhaps it's archaic? Because only recently we saw that uh, corporations such as Google and Facebook were um, at the eye of the storm. And also, perhaps over the last um, couple of years, the most important power has been the FDA, Mm. the Food and Drug Administration, because the entire world followed um, its advice. So... Let me turn to you, Miri, first. What is your understanding um, in 2021 of the term power? Is it a world power? Could it be only a regional power? Could it be a multinational? It certainly could be any of the above. Here we are, 2021. It's funny to think about it. We used to talk about Great Britain. That was a world power. France, a world power. I don't think anybody thinks of them now in those terms. But if we look at different countries today, we still have countries 
but we still have countries who absolutely still have enormous impact outside of their own regional area. Yes, it's not the same, but the United States is out there. It's certainly not the same, but Russia wants to be there. And it's certainly something changing, but China is moving. So already I have three major countries that impact way beyond their immediate borders, both in numbers and in other ways. Having said that, you still have regional interests. And in that sense, I absolutely think that Israel is a power. I don't think of us as a world power. I think that others think of us sometimes as a world power, but we are one of the powers in play, and I don't think we think of ourselves that way, and that perhaps is part of the changes that are happening. Perhaps they mean world Jewry as a world power. So we could immediately dive in and try and bring up all of the challenges that we're going to be talking about, and that's one of the aspects is how people do get mixed up between the two, and that can be kind of scary. Certainly in 2021, hearing voices that we haven't heard what feels like for a good 70 years. Iran Lerman? Well, actually, um, the, the state is back, which is uh, contrary to some of the assumptions about the weakening of the state, the, melt, the dissolving boundaries of state authority, which corresponds with what you've mentioned, that Facebook is a power. And <clears throat> so a few decades ago, if you went into the headquarters of one of the major oil companies, like Shell in the Netherlands or, or Exxon, you were dealing with a, an administration that thought of itself as an, a world power by its own rights. I mean, uh, I think Rex Tillerson thought he was demoted from the re- Exxon to the State Department. Um, the, but because of COVID, because of other challenges, because uh, of what's happening to the chain of, the chain of supply, The importance of the state, of governance, of governments is actually growing. And so the governments that control extensive resources, and resources are absolutely vital in this story, like the United States, like China, ultimately, potentially like the European powers, Germany more than than France or Britain, but all of them together, if they make up their minds what to do with this power, Yes, they have what it takes to influence the life of others. Ruben, I will leave um, to Danny to speak about international organizations such as NATO, the EU, obviously, the UN. Now we have AUKUS and the Quad and, and others. But let me ask you about the subnational entities. In our region, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, Daesh, are they players... Uh, on the world stage? Well, first, uh, I think uh, the basic question about power, certainly this is a power struggle. Remember that we are, uh, we think we consider ourselves to be like a Western country. Westerners like to think of themselves as promoting values. Like, is it values are the main drive? Values are important for us, but is it, it is a power struggle of dominance and a lot of shaping of perception. And Miri, you mentioned our size and relative to our size, and are we do- that dominant It's also a matter of what you really want to achieve and what you express uh, overtly. So even here, I think there's an interesting balance. I think all these smaller players you're talking about all have to fit into the larger puzzle. A positive thing, is, as far as our strategic understanding in recent years, is how it is all one map. For instance, our great rivals use this proxy war against us. So the entities you mentioned now, I think maybe even 10 or 20 years ago, We would be in the military discussing Hamas as if it has its own interests and, and goals, and 
No longer, no longer. I think they are, they are uh, a pawn in a way in this larger struggle. Sometimes, certainly, things can get out of hand. They can have a miscalculation. They're, uh, they're the entity that is driving them, funding them, training them, and, and launching them sometimes even may be angry with what they do. Okay? Hezbollah could launch a, a campaign towards Israel without Iran wanting it. But I think we have to see it in this overall spectrum of power and dominance in the region and all these players, how they play in. And we can even talk about the Sunni-Shia rift in the Muslim world and how it reflects the entire Middle East. We talked about acronyms. We're not going to go to the terminology of the axes and if it's called evil or if we have another cool term now, but that is the way to see it. But can I butt in for Please. a sec? I'm just going to butt in. It's as if we feel the need to define it as either or. How about in 2021, we look at things as being more complicated, more complex, and it's not either or. I don't think that Hamas is a pawn, and I don't think it's not a pawn. So mm -hmm. maybe it isn't just a question of choosing that. It can be both. Same goes for Hezbollah. Doesn't the world divide into good guys and bad guys? I thought that... <laughs> Depends on your perspective. No, uh, today it's vaccine and non-vaccine. Yes. <laughs> Danny, you started your uh, diplomatic career uh, in the Israeli uh, mission to the United uh, Nations. That was uh, three decades ago. Uh, what is the current uh, state of affairs for international organizations? Well, I would say it's very nuanced. You know, uh, if you look at the international organizations after World War II, when the entire architecture was built, there was high hopes, almost as the high hopes uh, after Wilson's idea of the League of Nations, which, of course, the Congress then uh, foiled for him. But I would say, by and large, the international um, community Amorphic, very amorphic term, the international organizations are almost powerless. Why? Because they derive their sovereign, they derive their ind independence from the power states, whether for money, whether for influence, political, and any other kind of resources. But I would say, when I say nuanced, look at the Bretton Woods uh, organizations, you know, IMF, World Bank. They are very powerful vis a vis those who need them, mostly uh, third world. Uh, countries or what we call developing countries. But they have demands and sometimes domestically the governments cannot follow these demands. Absolutely, which creates also political problems domestically for those uh, countries. And then of course you have... Uh, but that means that they do have some impact. Of course, yeah. of course. So I say depending where and, and when. For instance, if you look at uh, other major organizations, you think what is the most powerful international organization? or is the Security Council, right? They have the power uh, under Chapter 7 to impose sanctions on the country like they did on Iran or Iraq. They have the power to actually start a, um, a military campaign against uh, any country. So they do have the power, but... What's As in the Libya in... Uh, or in Libya, of course, of course. But where, what, is the, what, what is the catch here? They are not autonomous. It's not self-derivation. It is not self, uh, let's say, uh, sust uh, sustain sustainable. Why? Because you have to have the U.S., you know, you have the five Ps, you know, the five Ps with veto power. So they usually nix each other. Remember, it's the Soviet Union at the time. We had a window between 1990-91 until perhaps the middle of the previous decade in which uh, Russia was too timid or too careful, and the Chinese shied away from being the lone veto voice, and there was some sort of unanimity. You can count the number of Security Council resolutions that all of a sudden jump from the hundreds to the thousands, 
But by now, we once again uh, drifting towards uh, polarity. And in the circumstances of polarity, there's, there's nothing yeah. going to happen. I would happen. like to, if I can just mention briefly, three more organizations. One is the Human Rights Council. In the case of Israel, right. it is very relevant. It doesn't have much power politically. But all the resolutions against us, 50% of all resolutions in uh, Geneva, the, ICC, uh, the um, Human Rights uh, Council are against us, it creates some kind of public opinion. So it's very bad when it comes to the political warfare. And the last one I want to mention is the ICC, or the International Tribunal in, in Hague, which also has the power, like they did against um, Milosevic, Milosevic from, uh, from Serbia, or Bashar from Sudan, which is still hiding. Bashir, Bashir. Bashir from Omar Sudan, Bashir. Omar, right, which is still in, in hiding. But even that, it's, it's not to the extent of the support they get from the superpowers. The United States, for instance, just like Israel, have not ratified the uh, joining so, this Ruben, institute of Rome. Um, you used to be in touch with uh, several uh, foreign air forces when you were serving uh, with the air force. And at one time, the Turkish air force were, was your best buddy, almost. Now it's not. And um, it brings into question um, the membership in several organizations um, and not being in one. For instance, Turkey is a member of NATO, of course, but not of the EU. And the EU wants to bypass this obstacle and others and wants a military force of its own, even though most of the members, of course, not the United States or Canada, which are not uh, European countries, but most of the members um, are in both organizations. How do you solve this problem? <laughs> Uh, what we see now is you make up a new acronym and then you solve everything. So you have one organization, then you have a splinter organization with a new acronym and everything's fine. But I think it is interesting. So we resolve the world by building acronyms. Exactly. New organization and <laughs> sub-organizations. They uh, did that once. Chaos. It worked really well. Yeah. Or you have a nice acronym now like uh, OCUS and you say it's, it's for so many things, but it's really only for this right now. But also looking at Europe and Turkey and everything... It's important to see things in a historic perspective. Uh, I remember flying to Turkey, having a great time with my Turkish friends, and hopefully they will continue to be our friends. So yes, right now, their tensions, they have their own aspirations. Like we said before, a country like Turkey today, especially under Erdogan, wants to be perceived with, right, with a, maybe going back to the glory days of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and you can understand the European challenge when they constructed the organizations for instance, they have, have to have a unanimous decision, so it's very complex with so many nations. And from our as small Israeli perspective, it's interesting to see, for instance, NATO and also our Israeli perspective is we, we always want to be part. Sometimes maybe we're not too attuned to the diplomatic challenges, right? We want to be there. We want to be on the map. We want to be on CENTCOM's website, for instance. And for years, we begged the Americans until finally they grant us you know, this big gift to be part of I think sometimes yeah. we are a bit maybe naive or childish. Central being the Central Command. Central Command of the United, United States. States. Israel is finally transferred to the area of responsibility of Central Command, which is, has a lot of positive attributes. Indeed. But again, looking at Turkey and all of those interplay things are just challenges, challenges I think, of Europe. We ourselves have to look at the Israeli interest, in, interests here. And sometimes in our calculations, be aware of the challenges. For instance, do we... Are we a member of NATO or not? So yeah. there is another another uh, international body, the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, which we can uh, yeah. uh, look at. Um, but um, let me play a little game uh, based on what was mentioned here regarding the um, 
UN Security Council. Uh, suppose we are here um, in a draft, just like the National Basketball Association, <laughs> and each um, club gets to draft or nominate uh, someone for a new Security Council of five members or perhaps each. So because I'm the chairman, I pick the United States. Oh, Mary. your next life is like China. Well, I can tell you, okay, um, <laughs> I will be the EU. You? EU. But EU? Uh, well, UK. UK and but France would be the no, same. No, you're a traditionalist. Okay. Okay. Iran. India. India is the one balancer that may matter. If it puts his uh, house in order, and Modi is trying to do that, it can, and this is the whole notion of the Indo-Pacific and the Quad, is in bringing India into the position of balance. So that the, could be the determining factor the in Russians, the coming decades. The Russians and the French would not like you, but it, not only it, that, can, it sure. can be corrected later. But wouldn't it it's be interesting The argument used to be that the P5 happened to be also the, the five nuclear power, powers as recognized by the, the NPT. Time. Of course, India is not a signatory to the NPT, but it was already the Obama administration which decided consciously to let go of this obstacle and open up a new chapter with no, India. Just for the record, the, the P5 were the uh, alleged victors in uh, World War II, with China not being on a par with the others, and later, of course, replaced, um, Republic of China replaced by uh, communist uh, China. The, the, quite frankly, if I, I don't insult anyone, let me say that the notion that the French were the, among the winners of World War II eventually now, stre now, somewhat now. stretches. The French need to tell their stories. <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, when, when uh, four soldiers carried their wounded body on a litter, on a stretcher. Um, he, too, is considered one of the winners. <laughs> Let's not go under the fact that, again, France was conquered, if was I may, occupied. So if they I had contradict that. for one second, again, you know, you mentioned the UN, you know, and I was, since I was there, as you mentioned, three decades ago, the non-aligned have introduced a shift or a major change, reform of the Security Council. They said they're not represented. You know, you have the, a, a, uh, just freezing the situation of post-World War II. But Argentina wanted to be it, but then Brazil said, no, if you are there, we are there representing the South American. South Africa wanted to represent Africa. Egypt said, no, we are representing Africa. And then you have India in Asia. Pakistan said, no way. Japan, Australia from Okinawa said, no way. So it seems like the five traditional ones continue to be there, and this is why I picked the UK. But, but <laughs> Ruben, you record, still have one. For the, yeah, for the record, I did not vote yet. <laughs> um, and I think this vote reflects now the fact that we all have this mindset of post-Second uh, World War, right? So in a way, like we're living the old world. As an African, I would say, what do you, what do you, hype? you can't divide the world like this. So my vote is going to be, I want to be the one to notify Russia that they're not part of it. Okay? <laughs> I'm with okay, you. So, but, but is it Germany? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, oh, I'm with uh, you. Go for Africa. No, Ruben, remember so with the Africa? Russians, with the Russians, you can run, but you cannot hide. I was maybe <laughs> vote for Russia, maybe so they don't bother us. So we have them on board, even though they don't. They don't, don't please, please, Ruben, they're on. Ruben comments, uh, comment actually raises another um, very short acronym, but an important one, which has become uh, commonplace, and that's LM. That is an unofficial category, but it is a powerful category, the like-minded. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Russia clearly uh, does not come across as like-minded. And certainly she's China does not come across as like-minded. If you want a demonstration of what could become under the title of like-minded, you go south uh, to the south of Israel right now and see who's flying in the blue flag exercise. Um, it's, it ranges from the United States, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Greece, the UAE, commander of the UAE Air Force. And this is, this is science fiction. He's coming to Israel. And perhaps not only for liaison. him, perhaps other, other members of his organizations too. Yes. And, by the way, they, they, they have already participated in exercises with us in, Yonhos, uh, in, in Greece for a number of years. And the Indians... The commonality here actually has to do with orientation and in, towards the future. Of course, the UAE is a monarchy, not exactly a democracy, but it's oriented towards the democracies in its outlook and conduct. And India may be an authoritarian type of democracy, but it is the largest democracy. The like-minded against the narrow-minded or the simple-minded? No, the, the like-minded against those whose perceptions of the future of the global order are very different. But let's go dive into that for a moment. Let's for a moment try and go in and think about how the different countries view themselves. We're in 2021. It's not post-war. It's, I don't want to call it the flat world, but all of us realize that we all can access information all the time, get people out, get people to do different things. You and can access information, not, not the Chinese and the Indian exactly. people have to crawl China, I agree. secret tables I am going to, to agree with you, but in that sense, we can look at it both through numbers. And here I'm going to agree, India and China yet again come out. They have dominant numbers, but it's also of their self um, reflection. I'm not sure that Indians, I'm not talking about Modi, that Indians view themselves as a world power, but I'm pretty sure that Chinese do. And in this sense, I kind of wonder on what that self idea of how you look forward of who you are impacts. And I want to add one more aspect of this that has to do with Israel. Reuven, you said, and I don't even know if you noticed, little Israel. I don't think anybody noticed. And I'm going to go, really? Little Israel? That's our own self-perception. But we are a dominant power within this Middle East. Like minds come to us because of our power. So we see ourselves as little. We're not perceived as such from the outside. And thus people think that we're well, much bigger than we are. Territory-wise, we are the size of New Jersey. I'm with you. Yeah, it's not about New Jersey. Wise, they are the size of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Capabilities, we are the size maybe of... Well, hey, yes. economic size is also of importance. Of and so who are the different players? We are certainly punching above our weight. Ruben. No, but I agree there is an issue here, and I am reflecting my personal view on this, that I think our, our rhetoric has to always reflect modesty, um, especially because we're trying to push to a Middle East, you know, ultimate, ultimate peace, reconciliation, uh, at least some stability. So I think we should never use rhetoric that, uh, that's talking about projecting power and being dominant, even though we are. I wouldn't say a power, but maybe a powerhouse in several key fields and a force to be reckoned with, okay, but not more than that. Interesting to go to China, it's certainly on the rise. And look how China invests so much in terminology, in rhetoric, in uh, uh, coining a phrase, and then changing it, right? The Belt and Road Initiative changes names. Why? To influence, to impact the way we perceive them. They have the, the peaceful rise, and then they change. No, rise is going to be too intimidating. Let's call it a peaceful development. They invest so much in this rhetoric just so none of us think, beware of China. So if they can do it, we can do but, it. But let's go back uh, to the uh, UN game. 
Um, there is this uh, first class of five members and the economic class of the General Assembly. But should there be a business class, uh, a group in the middle um, of what once uh, members of the BRIC, Brazil, Russia, India, China, but of course, uh, it's not comparable. They were trying G- to throw a brick through the American window. <laughs> right. As much as or or uh, uh, G20, especially, ah, especially as the, as or the, the OECD. Old, the old distinction right. between the first world, second, that is Eastern Europe, uh, uh, Warsaw Pact, and the third world, that is no longer valid, isn't it? Look, first, the, uh, the G20 is a fascinating development because uh, it is actually uh, an evolution from the position of the G5. That was a, a totally like-minded club of the richest and most powerful Western nations. Uh, and it basically it was uh, NATO, NATO plus Japan, uh, or the key players of NATO plus Japan, who dominate the world economy in that situation that uh, obtained after the 73, 74 uh, oil crisis. This is the, the, these are the origins of the G7. But it was becoming very clear, particularly after 2008, the global economic crisis, that the G7 are no longer uh, sufficient to the, uh, the, the, the largest... Uh, sovereign funds are, in, in any case, held by Beijing. And so we, we see the emergence of the G20, which is multi, multipolar. It in, does include China and India and several other developing nations. It, the Saudis are there, Indonesia, Brazil. Uh, this is pre- probably, if you have a managerial club looking towards the future, at least the economic future, it is the G20, and, and they've become much more significant. How about the OECD? Is that the top 10% of the class? Uh, certainly in economic terms, and, and Israel is uh, blessed to be there. Actually, this is one of the... Not blessed, invited to join. Yes, but it, uh, the, the thing is, uh, this is we, we passed through cracks in, in the uh, time spectrum twice in our history, once in 56, I'm not going to de- say what or why or, where, or, or in what sense, but something happened that wouldn't have happened two weeks later. And uh, the same goes for uh, late 1956, and the same goes for 2010, because had we applied two weeks later, Turkey would have vetoed our entry, and, and the OECD is, uh, to, is, by, cons- uh, consensus. is, is by consensus. And uh, this was, it happened two weeks before the Mavi Mama incident. We also enjoyed And the they fact would have done so ever since. I mean, the, our relationship with Turkey we, by now we is We enjoy the fact that Chile was up to for nomination with us. <laughs> and, so Chile, and, and they wouldn't have gotten the one without the other. So we also had a lot of pressure from Chile and South America and the United States, which also had its own interest. But OECD doesn't have a political power. OECD is just a uh, status, an economic status for uh, all kinds of standards and research. But they do not convene like the G7 or the G20. And to make not, policy. And exactly, to make policy or to make even any announcements or declarations. But they do push you up. They do require certain social standards. Uh, social they impact domestically within each country. And, and you have international rating uh, companies. Absolutely. Um, and uh, it, your yeah. uh, economic prowess. Uh, your, is it standard or poor? I find it very interesting that until now, 
none of us are talking democracy. We're talking power, we're talking economics, now, now, now. Mm -hmm. If we talk about Saudi Arabia, China, um, Russia, should I add on to the list of all the people we're offending right now? We're not talking democracy, and I find it interesting that post-World War II, that was a term that was out there. Even post-Cold War, it was certainly out there. Who's going to democracy? Certainly 10 years ago with the issue that we called the Arab Spring, that term was out there, and here we are sitting here. Is it the five of us? I mean, is it who these five members are? Why is that? not out there. And I find it interesting because it's not that I'm for it. I'm all about democracy, right? But I don't see it right now as being a major issue. I have to say, if you read the guidance, the interim guidance that uh, the Biden administration published within within weeks of coming into power, it made essentially two points. China and the community of democracies. He is back to the idea of, uh, the, the, you but, can call it a fantasy, you can call it uh, but, uh, illusion, but, but he, does, he does make it a tool of containing China. But wishful thinking does not a policy make. Yes, I agree. Uh, sometimes uh, I, I wrote in, in the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune that to some extent uh, all this talk about um, MAGA, or uh, America is back, or build back better. What was MAGA? Is that a new make America, no, I don't know. Make America make, make great, great again. again. That's uh, the Trump baseball. Uh, oh, it was called baseball. MAGA? MAGA, wow. yes. Look, see, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you, you don't have a cap, uh, a red cap with MAGA? <laughs> okay. So all of this sounds to me sometimes like, like, uh, like they're playing pomp and circumstance given the circumstances of the British Empire now. Uh, something is, is not in sync here. But still, uh, Trump uh, ignored the democracy factor, bluntly uh, courted non-democratic players. Uh, Biden has reversed this and did put democracy but back But Biden is also facing reality, for instance, with Egypt. And with, with China. With President Sisi. Uh, of course, the American administration is for human rights, civil rights, but it also has to prop up a strategic ally. And sometimes there is a contradiction there, and you must be realistic in your choices. Yes. Now, Egypt uh, is simply too big to lose. Now, you mentioned the British, and this brings us to Brexit and um, the future of regional groupings. Uh, not, not necessarily uh, military ones, uh, like the uh, old uh, John Foster Dallas uh, um, alliances, CENTO, CETO, NATO, and all of that. But the the EU, uh, which was a dream um, for the last uh, 75 years or so, and now with Brexit, uh, seems to be on the decline, with Germany and France as two co-chairs, but uh, perhaps pulling uh, in uh, different directions. What's happening there, Danny? Mm. Well, I think Europe at large is in a decline. We see it. We see it uh, in the very basic uh, attribute of population, you know, their population rate. Not our viewers. Many of our viewers are in Europe and they are not on the decline. They are for certainly not. Okay. But, but they I, do I, need to know the numbers. Yeah. The continent. But I'm talking about the major powers, which is the UK, France, uh, Belgium in that uh, Italy, Spain, and, and, and you name it. So first of all, you know, their uh, fertility rate is less than one, which bodes very, very badly for the economy and for their social affairs, number one. And migr- migrants and make migrants up the difference. coming in 
which also unrattles the entire uh, social uh, fabric over there, and they do not have a coherent or cohesive uh, um, policy. Some say, well, with the UK out, maybe they will come together and it will be easier for them to make decisions. But still, you have nor- still you have Northern Europe and Southern Europe. As long as UK uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Germany, right, is seen very badly by Italy or by Greece and vice versa, I do not think that they can be a political power because as far as political decisions, they are non non-existent. And economic power, well, they have tried. They have tried to make this economic union against the United States, but that wasn't working very well either. So there's economy, and we've spoken about that, and that helped the EU to a certain degree overall, not all the countries. But I want to stick for a moment on something that Danny was talking about, and I want to go demographics. And we need to put some numbers on the table. So you didn't want to be Africa. I'll appoint myself Africa in that sense. But Africa, half the population is under the age of 25. Southwest Asia, half the population is under the age of 25. As you said, demographics inside Europe are less than 1%. What comes in? Migrants. So it's not about the EU. It's about the changing nature of the demographics in Europe that most of us don't talk about. A lot of us are uncomfortable with, but they're out there and we should address them. Um, it's not a question of good or bad. It's happening as we speak. But but the idea of a federation or confederation, of course, uh, if the uh, British, uh, the United Kingdom, um, wish to leave the EU, then come the Scots and wish to leave the United Kingdom. And who knows where this process uh, is going to end. In Catalonia, they want to leave Spain. And we could keep on going and on Corsica those Corsica wants to leave <coughs> France. And the Valones, the Flames, wants to leave Belgium. Well, I would say that NATO and CETO and all the others were built as tools of an American ordering of the international community, uh, basically in the famous George F. Cannon template of containment. Nowadays, as there is a sense, whether it is justified or not, I mean, Afghanistan certainly is a signal of, uh, a powerful signal of American retreat, um, the rise of smaller regional groupings and organizations, not all of them formally defined, is becoming more vital. For you, in Europe, the divide is becoming between those who face uh, Russian the, the crushing threat of Russian power at the Balt- Baltics and, and the Poles and the Eastern Europeans. Ukrainians, yeah. And the Ukrainians, which are not in Europe, but, but may ultimately they rely feel on that it, they, they, they would very much like to be, Ukraine but they know that they will not the be allowed to be. I mean, the idea in Russia of NATO and the Dnieper is one step too far. Poland, you know, there was a book once by uh, Friedman, not Tom, the other Friedman, I forget his first name. Milton. No, not Milton either. He wrote a book about the twenty, the next hundred years. He said, Poland is going to rise to become the most important player in I Europe because of its demographics and because of its location. It's the book collects some Polish. Vitality. Yeah. No, he um, wrote it about three countries. I'm remembering. He, has a, he said, don't ignore Mexico. Don't. Well, I don't know if, if this is premature or irrelevant or one more experiment in 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 uh, in, in gazing into the future. But Poland symbolizes the drama of what's happening to And we have seen um, the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin visit those Eastern European countries facing Russia 
in order to bolster, to deter, to tell them and the Russians that uh, they are not to be um, magnetized by the, mm -hmm. by the Russians, and they should stay in the Western orbit. I think we, we shouldn't make a mistake of looking at uh, a couple of decades and think that th this is it, right? We have to look historically. In Europe, of course, has been shaped for centuries. But even in our lifetime, the changes are so dramatic that it's almost hard to predict. Now, some may argue that if you look back in history, history repeats itself. Certainly some elements of it, because we are humans and the human, human kind doesn't change. So if we look at what led to the First World War and the Second World War, we even see that sometimes it's counterintuitive, right? You think that a power is becoming strong, maybe that's positive. No, it's too strong. Or even uh, you hurt someone's pride a bit too much, right? And then that leads to a whole war. Equilibrium so, is the name of the so game. So who knows? Who knows? But uh, what's interesting is I think I think generally worldwide, every, you work in coalitions. You understand that you can't promote anything without some kind of organization, as we said, with a cool acronym. And here, the UK left in counter you know, to this this way of thinking, and I think what we see even in recent weeks is the UK is starting to act like, like the old, maybe Great Britain again, sailing to the South China Sea, right, signing these pacts with the United States. So we see them trying now to act for the first time maybe outside or post-Brexit. Yes, but they, the uh, British, or at least the governments uh, and the electorate uh, which voted uh, for Brexit, counted on this special relationship with the United States. That will be it's key. not Britain stands alone, Churchillian-wise, no but question. Britain along with the United Churchill States. Churchill cast all his hopes on the United States. But yeah. you say Churchill and you say the United States, and I wonder how much we aren't talking about the specific leaders of these different countries who at specific times put together coalitions. So if you say now, you know, MAGA in that sense is somebody that represents a person at the end and inside the UK that represented people, politics, but also has to do with who the leaders were. Look at the change of policies that have happened in Israel with the change of the head of government inside Israel. It impacts and we're, I don't say we're ignoring it, but do we know what's going to happen in Turkey after Erdogan? And I give that just in that sense Mary, because look what's happening in Poland. You know, the old debate of who makes history, events, consequences, or leaders, seems to me more and more leaders. Without Hitler, wouldn't be in World War II. Erdogan, so. we see what's happening there. We saw what uh, Trump uh, has made to the United Yes, States. but the question was, did World War I and what happened to Germany and to Austria, yes. Austria-Hungary, create Hitler? Well, this is yes. absolutely, this, these are the See? consequences. Absolutely. Consequences and personality. Events were in the saddle riding men. That was World War I. World War II was the obvious. But now we have she. And we have to think a lot about she. But, right. but I would say one more quickly, Please. one more thing. Go ahead, uh, in terms of our own strategy, I actually see it continue between the previous government and this government, at least in one uh, prominent respect, which is the creation of a regional alignment, not yet alliance, but alignment of great significance in the great power game in the Eastern Mediterranean. Egypt, Israel, Greece, Cyprus. Jordan. We, and Jordan. Uh, we formally are in the uh, EMGF, uh, if you need uh, initials, the Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum, but we've gone far beyond gas. It's it, and if you throw in the UAE, and the French, who shore up the Eastern Mediterranean position, you're beginning to see something which uh, is a, in preparation for the day in which we will have to rely upon our own resources. We have um, only a couple of minutes uh, left. Um, let me mention that one of the first regional groupings after World War II was the Arab League, 
And after the Oslo process, Israel for a time wanted to belong uh, to this league, um, an idea whose time has come and gone um, almost um, as fast. Now, before we end, let's just uh, mention very briefly one issue which is universal, perhaps planetary, and that is climate. We can't go into it. We will do it uh, in the uh, next program. And um, uh, in the next program, we will be after the Glasgow, Glasgow. Summit, uh, which is going to be held next week. And uh, we will delve uh, into it. So with one word or two, will the world be able to solve it, Danny? Unfortunately, I'm not hopeful. Miri? I'm semi-hopeful. There are some changes, but not dramatically. I actually think that on this one issue, the United States and China can come together because they're mutually dependent. They, this is not the Russian-American relationship where the economic spheres were totally disjointed. This is much more complex and, and dynamic. And I think that if, the, if she and Biden put their heads together, they can turn the world around on this. Well, you know, in, in um, the 19th century, most of the American presence in China was of missionaries. Now they have to send a missionary. <laughs> Unfortunately, the assumption was not right. It's not a consensus. It's political. I'm an American Israeli. In the United States, it's political, right? Half of the United States will argue that that's not even an issue. Okay. Um, thank you very much, uh, all of you. Uh, first of all, let us uh, thank the uh, people in the control room, Hilas Spector, Gen Khalifa, Jonathan Hessin and Yaya Pinta. And thank you, all of you, Ruben Ben Shalom, Eran Lerman, Miri Eisen, and Daniel Yalon. And we will see you again in a month time. In the meantime, you can write us at powersinplay at tv7israelnews.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.